This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. edition of In the Zone starts now here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 as well on your FM dial. I am Jackson Schneider with James Wessling in our KSAL studios today playing around with some new software. Feel like I'm very unprepared, but we're figuring it out. It's it's different. It's just it's like anytime you like update your iPhone and things are slightly different, yep. but they're the same. But it's different, yeah. So you got to find your way around. But we're 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 working through things today, and uh, good news, by the way, this was the last weekend without football until February, without real football. So feel pretty good about that. Nice, you know, good stuff. You're quiet Dude, today. I, I'm so excited. I, I just, just I, didn't just, I was waiting for you to to, to interrupt. I'm a, I'm a non-interrupter, so I wanted to make sure that you completed your thought. Had all your sentences formed before <laughs> Instead, I started talking. I kept adding on, waiting for you <laughs> yes, to go. Yes, just <laughs> waiting for me to chime in. I am here today, uh, by the way. Yeah, so I'm super pumped for the start of football. Nebraska in Northwestern seems to be kind of the headliner for this weekend. What time does that game start? I've asked a dozen people today, and nobody knows what time I'm, it starts. I feel like it's like 11 a.m. Usually games in Ireland start at like 9 a.m., our time. I want to it's, wake up and have my coffee and my morning football. Nebraska and Northwestern. It's going it, to be yeah, Saturday. It's 11.30 on Fox. 11.30 a.m. on Fox. Because it's in Ireland, which is like six hours ahead of us. So it's a I night game over there. Gotcha. It, well, yeah, an it evening mm-hmm. game, I yeah. guess. Would you consider if, if it's like a 5 p.m. T- uh, start time, is that a night game? Does that really... That's a weird time for the start of a football game. Right. But either way, uh, there's been a lot of talk about Nebraska. And, you know, Scott Frost had those comments last week about 15 offensive linemen per day are throwing up in buckets. <laughs> and then he kind of uh, walked it back and said, I may have exaggerated for dramatic effect just a little bit. Either way, Casey Thompson looks like the real deal at quarterback. Had no idea the kid was as smart as he was. At his last press conference, he completely broke down the entire North Western defense better than any TV personality could. So uh, the guy knows his stuff. And um, I'm excited for some football. Even if it is Nebraska, I will watch the Huskers uh, take <laughs> well, down Northwestern. There's a few other games in there. I mean, that's that seems like definitely the main event. But you get Vanderbilt at Hawaii. That's at 9.30 on Saturday night. So if you're staying up late, there's a North Texas UTEP, Nevada, New Mexico State, um, Wyoming, Illinois, among several others. I think there's about 10 games on Saturday. So college football is all the way back because it's definitely a game week. And um, we had week two of NFL's preseason schedule. Uh, schedule this past weekend as well. Chiefs and Broncos were both in action, but split results for the second straight week. This time, though, the Chiefs got the win and looked pretty darn good against the Commanders, which just feels weird to say, by the way. Uh, 24 to 14 was the score there, and Patrick Mahomes continued to look, you know, right where he needs to be. He 
was 12 of 19 passing, 162 yards, two touchdowns. And uh, the two drives he played in were both the touchdowns. So that'll that'll get it done for Kansas City. See everything you need to see and uh, keep everybody healthy. Well, and he also had one of his infamous side-armed passes. And I was surprised to see Patrick Mahomes attempt nearly 20 passes. 12 of 19, buck 62, two touchdowns, as you noted, nearly flawless in the passing game. The Chiefs didn't rush the ball very well. 24 carries, 63 yards, a 2.6 average, which is terrible. But keep in mind, a lot of their offensive linemen barely played. And in the preseason, I feel like the offensive line is maybe the more most disjointed of all position groups because you're just trying to find your top eight or ten guys. You're shuffling in bodies all uh, night long, moving guys around in terms of different positions. There's just a lot that happens there. Receiving-wise, Jody Fortson was the big story in this one. Now, Watson, again, led the team in yards. We think he's probably going to make the team. But old friend alert when it comes to Jody Fortson, because he was phenomenal before he got hurt. He'd played in three games. He'd caught six or seven passes and already had a couple of touchdowns last year before that season-ending injury. And it does look like he's going to be, once again, uh, a red zone favorite of Patrick Mahomes because he's huge. You know, he's, he's – uh, oh, I just had him here. How big is he? Like six five, isn't he? I think so. Somewhere he's, in that neighborhood, which doesn't sound huge, but he's he's a bigger body. Well, and he, he played basketball in uh, college as well. He's one of those guys that played football and basketball at Valdosta State, I believe. Six five, two hundred twenty six pounds. So again, he's just kind of a, a big guy that knows how to work his way around defensive backs to get positions uh, position almost like you would a rebound in basketball. And uh, Valdez Scantling got a couple of catches. So I think the Chiefs starting offensive unit checked all the boxes on Saturday. They are. And I don't want to like chug the Kool-Aid too much, you know, Um, but it doesn't at least appear through two preseason games that the absence of Tyreek Hill is going to be as big of an issue as a lot of the national media might suggest. Um now, that's not to say it's not a loss, because it is. Anytime you lose one of the best receivers in football, you're going to feel some some absence there. But finding other guys who can still carry the load, and maybe multiple guys with what the Chiefs have done to their receivers room, it, it makes you feel a lot better about the situation. Because I feel like uh, guys like Jody Fortson, you, mis- you mentioned Watson, and we always talk about Sky Moore and Valdez Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, there's several guys who are capable of making impact on this roster, which is good. Because now you can't just focus on the one guy in Tyreek Hill who may have game-breaking ability, but you've still got several options that are viable offensively for Kansas City. So that that was very encouraging to me to see guys like that step up and look good. So we'll see how they maybe shape the roster officially here in the next week or so. Uh, but feeling pretty good about that. The other thing, by the way, I don't know if you saw, but after the Chiefs game on Saturday, they brought Patrick Mahomes and his family back out onto the field and played a video on the Jumbotron where they announced from Texas Tech that he was going to be enshrined in the uh, the Texas Tech Hall of Fame or the Ring of Honor 
Um, and just a really cool thing to see for a guy who's still pretty darn young. We forget he's like 25, Patrick Mahomes, and he's already being put basically into the rafters at Texas Tech because of not only what he did there, but now what he has become in the NFL. But pretty cool stuff to see there too. Yeah, and he got pretty choked up watching that video and and being surprised with that. It was really cool. Um, Patrick Mahomes is, I think he's just so locked in and ready to go for this season. Again, he had a quarterback rating of almost 130 in that preseason game against the Commanders. Uh, another guy that, that we should maybe make note of because he, he kind of came back down to earth was the new running back, Isaiah Pacheco. You know, there's, there's this play that's going viral because he missed a wide-open lane that may have been a touchdown for him in that contest. He didn't look great, but the bottom line is he's still a seventh-round rookie. Okay, It's going to take some time. And I will advise you of this, Jackson, because I know you're a big fantasy guy. Don't take a Chiefs running back in your fantasy football (laughs) draft unless it's like round 16. Because it's going to be running back by committee. You know, you're going to see I think 10 to 15 touches per game from Clyde Edwards-Elair. 10 to 12 from Pacheco, and then McKinnon's probably still going to get six or seven. I just think it's going to be, like I said, there's going to be three guys in the mix all year long. I'm, I'm a running back early guy anyway. That's just my philosophy personally. Uh, so I'm not typically looking for impact running backs in that range. Unless you're just trying to fill that last roster spot. Okay, but, who are your top three running backs for this year? Well, my my top three are the th- uh, are going to be completely different than like, what I end up with. Well, but Jonathan I just, Taylor okay. and Christian McCaffrey needs to be up there just because of sheer workload. And then uh, I'm torn because I feel really good about Najee Harris because of his workload, but his offensive line is problematic. So here's the juxtaposition that I'm in: is I'm in a keeper league. You get one guy. And in that league, you lose the draft pick. So it's where you drafted the guy last year. You get them at that same spot, so you could get value, but you don't get you you lose that pick sure. for this year. So I have Najee Harris. I got him in the second round last year. I'm picking 11th in the draft this year. So now I get him at two two, which is pretty good because he's projected to go in the top eight most places. Yep. So that's good value. But I I just. I'm torn on if I feel good about it because I feel like there might be a significant drop off there this year, but just got to roll with it and and see where uh, where my fantasy football GM skills take me. See, I think Jonathan Taylor's the clear cut number one pick this year, just based off of not only his workload, what he did last year in Indianapolis, the fact that he's actually going to have a quarterback that can throw the ball and take a little pressure off of him. He's also very involved in the passing game. But I think that running back number two spot is wide open this year. You've got Austin Eckler that's in the conversation, Dalvin Cook in the conversation, obviously uh, uh, Derrick Henry when he's healthy, um, Christian McCaffrey when he's healthy, um, which it's been a couple years now. So I, I, Aaron Jones is in the conversation. Um, it's going to be I will, interesting. I will say I've re- I read an interesting article not long ago that would contradict your the the Jonathan Taylor stuff. Oh, okay. Basically saying like the person in one season who who's like the number one running back or like I think it's something in the top five. It's the David Johnson syndrome. They they usually the next year drop off significantly. Yeah. Both because of 
workload and injury because they're trying to teams are trying to replicate those results the next year and because of scheme defensively teams will try and game plan for that more and That's try right. to shut it down um so i was trying to find players outside of maybe the top couple to really go after but you can't turn down a Jonathan Taylor if you're drafting first in your draft, which we got to get on our our office league. By the way, now that I'm thinking about yeah, fantasy I'm text football, Pat during the next we got to get that together because you need uh, to take over the reins or me. Whoever I don't, I don't want to be in charge. I hate being a commissioner. Okay, I am not shy about that. I I will decline. I'll play all day long, but I do not want to run the league because when bullets start flying, you're the guy that gets blamed every right. single time. True, but. Yeah, we got to get to a break. So you can text Pat. When we come back, we'll pick up the conversation. Uh, talking about the Broncos, they had a rough go of it in their preseason game on Saturday against the Bills. We'll recap that a little bit coming up on the next segment. You're listening to In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. <laughs> In the Zone is powered by Spartan Roofing and Exteriors. They specialize in roofing, guttering, siding, windows, and doors for both commercial or residential work. You can visit them online at SpartanRoofingAndExteriors.com to schedule a free inspection or a project consultation today. That is SpartanRoofingAndExteriors.com. You're listening to In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. I am Jackson Schneider with James Wessling today. Talked some Chiefs in the first segment and spiraled off onto a fantasy football discussion of all things. But got to flip things over to the Broncos now because as good as the Chiefs may have looked in their preseason game, the Broncos looked as not near as good. They looked just as bad. And part of that is due to the fact that they didn't play any starters. But anytime you get beat 42-15... to it's not a great, not a great look, you know. Even even if you're playing bottom barrel guys, guys that are just fighting for a roster spot, not a good appearance to have the Buffalo Bills beat you around in that form and fashion. But I will say there's still some positives that you can pull out of it if you are a Broncos fan because the quarterback play to me has still been pretty good. Josh Johnson looked good last week, looked decent on a Saturday. But Brett Rippon actually really excelled this past weekend. 22 of 26, passing 191 yards and a touchdown, a 110 rating. That'll get it done. So I feel pretty good about the quarterback play behind Russell Wilson, who we haven't even really seen take a snap for the Broncos yet at quarterback. I'm sure that's coming, if not in their their final preseason game. We'll at very least get to see him week one. But quarterback play looked good. Tough part is, though, again, the uh, rushing still struggle. I think they rushed for 25 yards in the first preseason game and only 32 on Saturday. So, mixed bag for the Broncos. Yeah, it was. Um, But as you alluded to, I don't think that it matters much. I think that, (laughs) as crazy as it sounds, Buffalo probably, at least one guy on their roster, really wanted this game, and that was Case Keenum who the experiment in Denver did not go well with him, but he's bounced back as a backup for the Bills to Josh Allen. He only had two incompletions. He goes 16 of 18, just torched the number 2 Broncos defense for 192 yards and a touchdown. And then also, 
I mean, the bottom line is the Bills' backups right now are a lot better than Denver's backups. Okay, that's one thing that that we have said about this Denver team. They have a lot of pieces, but there's a big gap between their ones and their twos. There's lack of concern, uh, or, or there are concerns um, about the lack of depth behind Russell Wilson, even though Ripken did have a good game. Outside of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, there's a big drop off that third tailback. The receiving core is thin. They have three serviceable receivers, two pretty good tight ends, but then the fourth receiver spot is very up for grabs because of the injury to Tim Patrick. You look at the Bills, like their backup running back, actually their third running back is Duke Johnson who's a pretty good player for the Browns, really good in college, had nine carries, 55 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Their third receiver was Gabriel Davis, who had 47 yards and a touchdown, a team high. I mean, the Bills' backups are just a lot better than Denver's backups. So I wasn't shocked when I saw this. And again, it's preseason, it's meaningless, but you're right, it is not a great look to get thumped, whether it's preseason or for real. Now, with this Broncos team, they still get one more shot. Preseason, they play um, on the twenty seventh. Is that that is Saturday, Saturday night against the Vikings, um, and that's our final real tune up that we get to see from them. The Chiefs play Thursday night, but the Broncos will get a full week off, and I would imagine we might get a better picture of what the Broncos might actually look at, look like come week one and that Monday night game at Seattle. But uh, what do we need to see from the Broncos to start believing in them as a legitimate contender? Because I feel like we've talked at length about how they have the pieces, like you said a minute ago, to really compete in the AFC West and be much improved from where they were a season ago. But where where is the true growth that needs to happen? Because there are seemingly, when you look at the backups playing most of these preseason games, seems to be holes all over the place, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I think that what I would want to see from Denver is week one, they have a huge game. They're at the Seahawks. Homecoming for Russell Wilson. Even though the Seahawks have a lot of questions this season, it's still a game that you don't know how Russell Wilson's going to respond in that environment. And there's going to be an insane crowd for that game. It's also the Monday night game. It's the standalone, nationally televised game. A really intriguing matchup. In the NFL, blowouts rarely happen, and they hardly ever happen on Monday night football. So Denver going up there and just controlling the game, I don't think they're going to blow the Seahawks out. But if they win by more than a touchdown, that's a huge win for Denver in my eyes. And then week two, you get the Texans at home. Week three, you get the 49ers at home with Trey Lance at quarterback. Uh, If he struggles those first couple of weeks, by week three, there's going to be a lot of questions surrounding that, and there could be a lot of turmoil in San Francisco. This is realistically a Denver team that probably needs to start 3-0. You know, 2-1 would do it, but 3-0 would be really good if this team is uh, serious about making the playoffs. Because after that, you know how tough the AFC West is. Um, You know, the, the back half of their schedules brutal with the Ravens, Chiefs, Cardinals, Rams, Chiefs, and Chargers, their last six games of the year. So they've got to get off to a strong start uh, like they did. I don't think it was last year, but I think, remember a couple of years ago, they got off to a really strong start. Maybe it was last year where they started 4-0 or 5-0 or 5-1 and then just completely crumbled. So um, this year, I think they're going to have to have another strong start and just hope they can stay healthy and carry that momentum into the back half of the season. 
This Broncos team, man, I I feel good about them, but then I also have to remember that this division is going to be ridiculous. All four teams are so good, and I'm I'm curious to see how the actual records shake out because when you play three other really good teams twice each, that's going to drag down maybe the win-loss total and and create a very interesting playoff picture because legitimately all four of these teams you could make an argument are playoff worthy but how is it going to actually come together because when you look at it from the Chiefs and the Chargers they seem to be in that first tier but not far behind are the Raiders and the Broncos in the second tier of the same division but those two tiers are still just as good as most other teams in the AFC at least so I just it breaks my brain trying to trying to predict exactly how this division is going to finish. And I, I feel like there also needs to be some, some tapered expectations because you could still be a really solid team in this division and still lose eight games. Yeah, definitely. But the thing that the, that the Broncos have going for them is the fact that they did finish last in the division last year, so they get all the other last place teams on yeah. their schedule this year. They have five games that if they're going to be a playoff team, they should go 5-0 and against these five teams. The Seahawks, the Texans, the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Panthers. If there's five wins right there for Denver, you get the Colts at home. Uh, that's probably a 50-50 game. You play at the Ravens. That's a game that's less than 50-50, but a winnable game, I would think. Um, they also play at the Titans. I'm not convinced the Titans are going to be what they were a season ago without A.J. Brown. Um, I think they're relying way too much on a rookie at receiver. And a lot of Robert Woods there. And Robert Woods. Can't forget about uh, Bobby Trees, man. My favorite nickname in all of football. (laughs) Bobby Trees, that's good. Uh, You know, so if they could go 500 against teams in their own division... Then this is a this is a playoff team in my eyes because their schedule is weak uh, until those last six games. I, man, I'm telling you, it's breaking my brain. There's a website where you can predict game by game, week by week mm-hmm. NFL results, and it'll show you the playoff picture and what the brackets would look like, and then the draft and all that. It's super in depth. But I got about eight weeks in. And it's it takes a lot because picking every game in the NFL in one sitting is ridiculous. Uh, but it just reminded me how crazy this division is probably going to be because of how good everyone is. But you only get so many playoff spots. How is that going to fit? It's it's like jamming a square peg into a round hole trying to get all of these teams in the playoffs. It's just it's not going to happen. And I'm curious what team will be the one that gets left out because I'm sure they'll all be better than one or two teams that do end up in the playoffs. They're just at the mercy of being in the AFC West. If they go 9-8, and eight, they should make the playoffs. The Raiders made the playoffs last year at 9-8. and eight. The Chargers just missed out on the playoffs last year at 9-8. and eight. But if you go 9-8, and eight, you're probably making it. You're definitely in the conversation. I just think there's that much parity in the NFL with this 17-game schedule now. I don't think there's going to be a lot of years where the last team in has only you know six losses, uh, even seven losses. So I think that if they can go 9-8 and eight and take care of the games that they should take care of, then they're going to have a good shot to be in the playoffs. I can't wait. I'm so hungry for football. It's unbelievable. 
that we're this close. And now we get to start talking about legitimate games in college, but we still have to wait like three weeks for the pros. So going to have to wait on that one. But we got to get to our last break. When we come back, we've got some news out of Manhattan. Big stuff for K-State and Jerome Tang on the hardwood as we switch gears a little bit coming up next on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL. segment of In the Zone Radio, 1150 KSAL, 106.7 FM as well. Don't forget, we are on Spotify. So if you missed anything from the show earlier, check us out on Spotify. Search In the Zone on KSAL and uh, like, subscribe, and, and do all the fun stuff that you do on the Spotify. We're there, just, just so the people know. But uh, switching gears from football to the hardwood for... A big development in Manhattan over the weekend. Not just one, but two commits for Jerome Tang and the Wildcats fills out the roster. They add a Juco transfer and a combo guard, a 6'7 combo guard, by the way, in, uh, was it Anthony Johnson? Or what's his last name? I'm brain farting right in the middle of it all. Anthony Anthony Thomas. Thomas. Sorry about that. And Keontae Johnson. That's the other one who is the big name. There's the mix-up in my brain. Uh, But Keontae Johnson was an absolute stud at Florida for a couple of years. But in 2020, people may remember he collapsed on the floor and had a heart issue and missed the rest of that season. He hasn't played since. But he transfers to K-State, and it's looking like he's cleared. He's going to be good to go. He's healthy, and he's a huge addition, fully healthy for Jerome Tang. But two big commits in one weekend to complete the complete roster overhaul in less than five months. Keontae Johnson is a baller. 6'5", 229 pounds. He was first-team All-SEC as just a sophomore in 2019. He was the preseason SEC Player of the Year for the 2020-2021 season. And his his last full season at Florida, he averaged over 14 points a game, seven rebounds, a couple of assists, um, was a really good defender, a lot of blocked shots, was really just known as a, a... physical imposing presence on both ends of the floor and then the games that he did play before um, he collapsed against Florida State in his junior season he was averaging 20 points a game 64 percent from the field around six seven rebounds per game um, had had a 24 point and 12 rebound game against Boston College Uh, he's just like you said if healthy one of the premier players instantly in the Big 12. I mean, he is an all-Big 12 caliber talent. He is a guy that comes in for K-State, starts right away, and is probably their best player. And I just, I have a feeling that maybe early on in the year in the non-conference, they'll kind of ease him into things um, in terms of his minutes. But 
And another issue, you know, we don't know behind the scenes if there's a cap on his minutes. We know there's a cap on how many games he can play if he wants his insurance policy. If he plays more than 10 games for K-State, he surrenders his $5 million insurance policy. But he's not worried about that. He's been cleared. He believes he's 100% healthy. There's no risks associated with anything going on with his heart. And he wants to play professionally in the NBA or overseas. And that's why he's elected to come back to college and play. Um Again, just ecstatic about Keontae Johnson because I remember him at Florida, and he does it all. He's 6'5", 229 with an insane vertical. He's not one of these physical, you know, uh, road grader type post guys that can't get off the floor. He can do it all. He can step out and hit threes. Like I said, if he's playing the amount of minutes that he was playing at Florida, he is instantly the best player on this K-State team. It's it's massive, and there's obviously a lot of asterisk because you don't know entirely what he's like because he hasn't played in almost two years now, but that doesn't seem to be a huge concern. There seems to be plenty of confidence in Jerome Tang and his staff in, in what Keontae Johnson is capable of and what he would be bringing to the team. They believe he is back to being himself, fully healthy, and, and I, don't, I don't either want people thinking, well, K-State's probably just trying to get this guy to play despite health concerns. There were several other suitors for Keontae Johnson, and it seems like he's 100% fine because Memphis and Western Kentucky were were right in on this kid up until he chose to come to K-State. So it seems seems like all, all signs are pointing to go for uh, for this kid to return to the floor, and if he, if he does, I'm a, I'm in a hundred percent agreement. He becomes K State's best player, and it's a huge addition because as good as they seemed to be with the roster that they've put together, this takes them to a completely different planet. Because you, previously we were talking about, well, they'll be they'll be more competitive, or they might be competitive, but you don't know how much they'll actually win. This turns them into a team that can flirt with the NCAA tournament and possibly beyond if they if they can grow as much as as you know what teams hope for at least, or what you would hope for in a coach like Jerome Tang. But right now, the expectation is infinitely better than what K-State basketball was in early March already. Oh, 1,000%. And the difference with you know Keontae Johnson compared to some of the other guys that Coach Tang has brought in, and don't get me wrong, I'm excited about all of them. And I know that Coach Tang really feels like he's put together a really good team. But some of these other guys that have transferred in, you look at their numbers at other programs and you think, okay, yeah, you know those are good numbers, but how does that translate to the Big 12? Um Keontae Johnson, like the proof has is in the pudding. It's already there. This guy was playing in the SEC and dominating. He was the preseason SEC player of the year. Like his accolades already speak for themselves. Whereas, you know, some of these other transfers, and it's like this with every program, you you are optimistic that they can produce. Um, but a lot of these transfers are guys that, you know, were highly touted players out of high school that maybe, you know, uh, didn't play as many minutes as they had anticipated as freshmen. Guys like Jarrell Colbert at LSU, Cam Carter at Mississippi State. Then you have a guy like Desi Sills that, yeah, he was a double-digit scorer two years ago at Arkansas, but he played at Arkansas State last year. You know, uh, can he produce at the same level as he did for the Razorbacks? You just don't know. And with Johnson, it's more just a matter of his health rather than his ability. But Jerome Tang, you know, at Baylor, they had two guys that had – 
um, issues with their heart. Isaiah Austin, who was fine at Baylor, ultimately had to stop playing the game of basketball once he got to the NBA because of his heart condition, but they were monitoring that in Waco. And then uh, Jared Butler, who was one of the best players in the Big 12 and led Baylor to a national championship, he had a heart issue as well, which is why a lot of programs uh, didn't take him when he was transferring to Baylor from where I can't remember where else he was uh, before Baylor. But so Jerome Tang, I think he just he trusts the doctors and he says, we're, we're going to go get this guy. And like you said, it is a huge pickup because you mentioned Memphis and Western Kentucky at the very last minute. K-State didn't think they were going to get him because yeah. a lot of the big boys started coming in and uh, – and making their pitches at the very last minute. But Keontae Johnson uh, fell in love with the coaching staff, and he's going to be a Wildcat. It's exciting. I'm excited. I think a lot of people, a lot of our K-State fan listeners, should be very excited, not only about K-State football, which we've talked about at ad nauseum for the last two months, but now basketball, you can really kick that up and feel just feel positive for once about K-State basketball for the first time in like the last three years since pre-COVID. So that's really exciting for fans in our area. Uh, also, I do have a couple of sort of breaking news. This first thing popped up a little earlier in the day, but K-State football announced all of their captains. Did you see this earlier, James? No, I haven't. Well, there's, there's some no-brainers, uh, which would include, obviously... Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn. But other than that, they add Eli Huggins and they add Deuce Green, Daniel Green, as well as Cade Warner and Cooper Beebe. So those are your six captains for K-State. Again, Adrian Martinez, Deuce Vaughn, Cade Warner, uh, Daniel Green, Cooper Beebe, and Eli Huggins for K-State football uh, on the upcoming season. But also the Chiefs have made a few roster moves and I of course my phone just made it go away so I have to chase that down but they made a few cuts because they have to get down to 80 here in a couple of days or actually by tomorrow at 3 p.m. so they've made the following moves they have waived corner Brandon Dandridge Defensive back Nasir Green and offensive lineman David Steinmetz to put the roster down at 82. They need to be at 80 tomorrow at 3 p.m. That is the deadline. So Chiefs with a couple of moves sort of at the buzzer on the show today. So glad we got that in there. Yeah, and to think that the Chiefs still have to cut over 20 players, I mean, they still have a, a, a long way to go in terms of uh, making those moves. And I look at this this Chiefs team, and at least offensively, I look at the guys that played in their preseason game against the Commanders, and they're all guys that have shown flashes. Like the Chiefs don't really have, even just in this, this preseason camp, a lot of guys that are out there that I know absolutely nothing about. I mean, you look at the, the like their fifth string running back was Derek Gore. Yeah. Derek Gore was a player that was pretty productive last year. You know, they've got eight to 10 receivers that have all been productive at other places or were drafted in the last two drafts. So it's going to be fascinating to me once we get down to the real nitty gritty and that, that, as you said, right before the buzzer, who's actually going to make this team? It's going to be crazy, and the the bullets are going to start flying in terms of cuts and whatnot. I'm sure they'll make two more here either tonight or early tomorrow morning to get that 
Um, obviously, they have to. They don't have a choice uh, to to get down to 80. But I wouldn't be shocked either if they started to kind of make some more decisions. I know they've got time that they don't have to make all of those moves and get down to 53 um, right now. But I would imagine now, after two preseason games, they've probably got a pretty good idea of what they're going to be doing. But we'll we'll wait and see uh, on those for tomorrow. That's going to wrap up our show for today. He is James Wessling. I am Jackson Schneider. We will be back at it tomorrow at 5.15. If you missed anything, check us out on Spotify, In the Zone, on KSAL. Also, get out to the Library Sports Bar and Grill. First Kansas Wesleyan Coaches Show of the New Year coming up in just a little bit. I'll see you out there, 1307 South Santa Fe. But, again, for James Wesling, I'm Jackson Schneider. Thanks for listening to In the Zone on KSAL.